welcome to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong. I'm Julio. And I'm Alex. Here on the show, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. For the first half of each episode, Contrarians Corner, we trash the fresh red tomatoes and praise the rotten green splotches, making our case any way we can. The aptly titled Real Talk serves as the second half of each episode. This is where we discuss our true feelings on the movie we're covering. For more information on our podcast and to browse past episodes, you can head over to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. From there, you can also access our patron and merchandise, because capitalism. If you enjoy our attempts at comedic film discussions, we encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you use. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, that's what social media is for. You can find us on most platforms as at Contrarian Prime. You can also see what we look like if you go to youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, and you can contact us by email at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. I think that covers it. Then it's time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Dunstan Checks In. Hello. And welcome once again to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host and friend, Julio. Julio, we're getting into some monkey business today. <laughs> I was wondering which of us was going to, to be the first one to go for the monkey business joke. Yeah, it didn't take long. Gotta get it out of the way so that we can just relax. <laughs> Not hanging over our heads. Coming off the emotional whirlwind that was... Uh, your name it's only fitting that we go back to 1996 we go back to jason alexander and we visit uh, the ken quapis uh led voyage that is dunstan checks in starring faye dunaway time for uh, some ken quapis comfort food this is what we need we need to settle down no time travel <laughs> no subtitles ken quapis uh, of course of uh, office fame I guess, would you say that's what he's most known for? No. King Quapis, he's best known for the Contrarians episode on He's Just Not That Into You. <laughs> Duh. But uh, I think most folks, the the most um, seen work of his would likely be The Office. He did also direct The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, which did well for itself, License to Wed, which did not. Uh Big miracle. Man, he just loves John Krasinski, doesn't he? Mm. <laughs> who who wouldn't? Who doesn't? And um, you watched that show, Santa Clarita Diet. He directed some episodes of that. And uh, I, I didn't realize he directed one episode of Parks and Rec, the Galentine's Day episode. Semi-fitting, considering the, the timing of this. It's right after Valentine's Day. Uh, in real time, as we record this, we're just a few days away from the Super Bowl for those who celebrate. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers. I could not fucking care less, but it gives me an excuse to make a lot of food and uh, drink some beer and have a, a jolly time watching uh, the last football game of the season. Uh, I say that to say that that comes in, what, four days from now? But I, I guarantee that nothing that happens at that game will reach the level of spectacle that I just watched in my living room prior to this recording. <laughs> Unless somehow they have Jason Alexander step into the field. and Yeah, they could have Taylor Swift catch the game-winning touchdown. It wouldn't be as shocking as Jason Alexander taking the field, like, you know, <laughs> snapping the ball to Patrick Mahomes. The whole cast of Dunstan checks in. Alexander, <laughs> Rupert Everett, Faye Dunaway. <laughs> the kid from the Santa Claus, I guess, is still doing shit. Eric Lloyd is his name. I, I, I guess he's in... The Santa Claus show. The the sequel? There's a couple movies. He's in both of those. He Okay, he has a credit. I don't remember this, and I'm not in a rush to revisit Batman and Robin, but he's credited as playing young Bruce Wayne in a flashback scene in Batman and Robin. Oh, man. <laughs> Dream come true. And he did a voice in My Giant. So, man, yeah, the movies this kid was attached to just all made bank. He didn't have to come back for the Santa Claus 3, the escape clause. He just did it because it was the right thing to do. Uh, sadly, would you, Dunstan, say, would you say his film career is more productive than Jason Alexander's? Man, 
the Santa Claus in the box office didn't even make $200 million, which seems surprising, but that is, again, back in the days of VHS when tapes were like $25 a piece, and that thing sold like fucking Hershey's chocolate in Hershey, Pennsylvania when it was first released. Um, maybe. You might be onto something. I was My segue was going to be, sadly, we can't say that, you know, Dunstan Checks In was a box office titan as it didn't recoup its budget even on a 16 million dollar budget grossed approximately 10 million but to your point i mean you got batman and robin there you got the santa claus my giant uh the brave little toaster to the rescue i mean come on man Uh, whereas jason alexander I mean, yeah, he was in arguably the most important television show of all time. But then when you say, gotta... those, those Seinfeld checks don't stop coming in. <laughs> uh, he was in Pretty Woman, Jacob's Ladder, Coneheads. Shallow Hal, right? He's a friend Shallow of Shallow Hal. Hal. He's the best friend, yeah. He, um, Blank Man, I forgot he's in that. Rockin' Bullwinkle. He, yes, and he is a hunchback in Notre Dame. He's one of the gargoyles. He does yes. the voice of one of them. And, it's Hugo. Um, Thank you. I didn't realize he was in the, he did a voice in the return of Jafar. So, I, I mean, at best, I think they, they did all right. Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Titans of the industry, Eric Lloyd and Jason Alexander. Every year they send each other Christmas cards with their box office tallies. <laughs> uh, actually, every year Jason Alexander just sends him one that says, I was on Seinfeld. <laughs> so... Before we we get to what brought together Eric Lloyd and Jason Alexander, we should first discuss Julio. Why why we're discussing this? Why we're talking about Dunstan checks in? Why why are we? Alex, if if life wasn't so chaotic right now and just I'll, I'll, I dropped the ball. I'll just admit <laughs> I, if there was ever a time where I should have reached for insight from a patron about their patron demand. And this was it. Uh, Jason Nerdovert. This was his turn to tell us what to watch. Jason Nerdovert, who gave us uh, the horrific Jim Carrey dark thriller. Dark Crimes? Dark Crimes. Same person. Now is giving us this this family-friendly monkey movie. And I guess I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like all I can say is that Jason said do it, and so we're doing it. And uh, maybe he'll reach out later and enlighten us. But uh, at this point, I guess the reason we're doing it is because we we let our patrons pick movies on the main feed, and uh, here we are. I wouldn't have thought that uh, 2024 was the year where we finally do a a monkey kids comedy. But here we are. We've arrived at long last. And like I said, we're not alone. In addition to Charlie from the Santa Claus, George from Seinfeld, we have Faye Dunaway, Rupert Everett, Glenn Shaddix, Paul Rubens, you know, so. This is a blessed podcast, Alex, in that <laughs> we, this is our third Glenn Shaddix movie somehow. Beetlejuice and what else? Heathers. Oh, duh. Yeah. And in this movie, like, this is easily his most uh, physically comedic role. He exists to be a punchline in this movie. (laughs) He loves it. He knew that he was up against Paul Rubens and Jason Alexander, so he had to up his game. Had to step it up. His name is Neil. After Neil Armstrong. The first man on the moon. Yes, he was. (laughs) And he's very, very sensitive. All right, Julio, we've cleared why we're talking about this. Uh, Standing at 17% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 41% audience score. It's not like, and we already mentioned the box office. It's not like this thing set the world on fire. But from that pool, Julio, that comprised a 17% rating, which which reviews did you pull for us to kick off Contrarian's Corner? Uh, Well, Dunstan didn't set Rotten Tomatoes on fire either. There's, There's only a handful of reviews, most of them rotten. So... Here's what I could pull. Uh, we're going to start with James Rodinelli from Real Views, who said, There isn't much of a story. The minimal plot exists exclusively to get the orangutan Dunstan, played by Sam, into as many odd, potentially comic circumstances as possible. I just like that Rodinelli did write by Sam and gave him a credit. He didn't just say Dunstan, but he <laughs> he actually named the orangutan that uh, that plays Dunstan. Were you, were you going to do that, Alex? Because I wouldn't have thought about it. 
I mean, I looked into it, yeah, because uh, uh, the it has orangut- to be the same monkey, right? So the entire movie, I believe so. From my very arm's length uh, dive into the animal performance in this, it seemed as though it was the yeah same monkey. Because you know, with with babies and like little kids, sometimes they use twins. Oh, I yeah. feel like that's a cheat. Like, <laughs> let the performance, let the kid like rise or fall on its own. The problem against the sibling, uh, but no, yeah, I mean, Bernelli seems to think the same as far as Sam, just Sam by himself. Uh, next, Mal Vincent from the Virginian Pilot. This quickie outing is designed to score briefly before it goes rather swiftly. One suspects into the video market. Back in the day when the video market was a thing, Alex. I was looking a bit into it. it does appear Dunstan checks in had the classic um, clamshell. The, the big VH, like the Disney size VHS box, mm-hmm. you know, that was typically reserved for children's movies that immediately filled me with a sense of warmth and uh, nostalgia, even though I'd never seen this movie before. I was just like, hell yeah, used to be better. I was going to ask, though, because sometimes you get these flashbacks, especially with 90s movies, where you remember having seen the movie on the outside, like not sitting and watching the movie, but seeing the the case, the, mm-hmm. the DVD or the, the VHS cover art. Is that the case here with Dunstan? Oh, yeah. I definitely remember this. Yeah. Uh, next, Ken Hankey from Mountain Express, Asheville, North Carolina, says, depends on your orangutan tolerance. What's your orangutan tolerance, Alex? <laughs> I mean, if we already want to go down this road, if this movie was made today, it would be completely like a complete CG animal. So if nothing else, it's a novelty watching this and seeing like obviously orangutans are very, very intelligent beings. uh, But seeing it act better than some of the people in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. There's no artifice. (laughs) Just orangutan doesn't lie. Is uh, King Louis in, uh, in the Jungle Book? Is King Louis an orangutan? King Louis. It has been so long since I have seen the Jungle Book. But it's like, you know, remember the monkey that has the yes. song? Yes, yes, He's an orangutan. Okay. Did you know that Christopher Walken voices him in the live action version? Why Why not? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my level of orangutan tolerance. Christopher Walken voicing an orangutan, that's where I draw the line. I had forgotten until this moment that they did a live-action version of The Jungle Book and my life was better off. Dude, there's like three. But th- but the one I'm referencing is the big one. We got uh, John Favreau to direct and Bill Murray to do the voice of uh, Baloo. Are you being serious? I am. Wow. So in theaters. Right. Scarlett Johansson does the voice of the snake. And... Uh, Oh, man, who does the panther? Maybe Ben Kingsley? Let's move along. (laughs) One final point about that movie. Uh, They're not real animals. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) All right. We're going to close with Steve Rhodes from Internet Reviews, who says, Dunstan checks in. Wish I hadn't. Hey, I was waiting to see how long it was going to (laughs) get. (laughs) <laughs> Even when the review pool is not that deep, there has to be at least one critic that goes for the clever, punny uh, quote. All Absolutely. right, Steve, you get you get the punny award on this one. Those are the quotes, Alex. Let's go into Contrarian's corner. Because if this week doesn't go perfectly, and I mean perfectly, and if you two do anything to foul up the crystal ball, I am going to be skewered, roasted, and served as dead duck flambe. So unless you two prefer moving from a five-star hotel to a trailer park, we will have no further disturbances. All right. January 12th of 1996. Curious when they uh, shot this movie as um, Eric Lloyd did not look too far separated from his role as Charlie in the Santa Claus. And of course, you know, when you're that young, uh, a year or two can make a considerable difference. So he still had his... uh, childlike glee and charm about him but 20th century fox's dunstan checks in begins with lionel spaulding this is glenn shaddix and his dog neil arriving at the prestigious five-star majestic hotel where due to a prank by kyle grant this is eric lloyd and his older brother brian graham sack what a name that is uh an overflowing fountain accidentally drenches him greatly frustrating the hotel manager and the boy's widowed father robert this is jason alexander 
He's disappointed with the boys, but they are guaranteed a vacation in Barbados afterwards, only for the ruthless, haughty hotel owner, Elena Dubrow, Faye Dunaway. Did you just call her a hottie? Because I agree, but... Well, hottie, H-O-T-T-I, I agree with. Uh, hottie, in this particular <laughs> circumstance, H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Ah, Vain, proud, arrogant, mm-hmm. conceited, snobbish, stuck up, pompous, according to our friends at Google here. Uh, she forces them to cancel the trip for a third time due to the upcoming Crystal Ball, where one of the guests is revealed to be a critic from the Le Monde Traveler organization, who they hope will reward the Majestic with a sixth star. So, look, there, we can't <laughs> dance around any longer. This is a 90s movie through and through. There's like the snooty... Uh, aristocrat, you know, the dean or the rich kid, you know, the 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 principal, the the teacher that doesn't believe in fun. I mean, it's it's all here rolled up into the Faye Dunaway character. And then there's also I always forget what a big archetype the single parent was in 90s movies, yep. you know, uh-huh. and we have that here with Jason Alexander and. I mean, Glenn, Glenn Shaddix is just a funny looking human. So off the bat, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he he said lovingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like, who was it when Burt Young died? We talked about people. <laughs> actors don't look like that anymore. Actors certainly don't look like Glenn Shaddix anymore. And he, Alex, just I made this joke in our Beetlejuice episode, and I'll make it again. Cam from Modern Family is Glenn Shaddix's twin brother, his spiritual successor. <laughs> yes, but even then, he he isn't as like oafish. Uh, what I'm trying to say is like a caveman sent to the future could watch this and be like, oh, yeah, this movie's from the mid 90s. You know, it's like <laughs> it's all there and it opens up no other way than with the uh, hijinks from the, the little kids. It's which, just which are I, also, uh, you know, character stereotypes from the 90s. I mean, I guess throughout all of history, but I think that little kids, kid with the backwards hat, the, yep. the older brother has the shoulder length, you know, JTT hair. It's all there, man. Yep, yep. The older brother must be like, I don't know, 12, but he's checking out the girls left and right. Uh, the younger kid, he is completely innocent about the ways of the world. I mean, that is just, um, I I tend to think Disney Channel movie because I think of that, that growing up, that would be my idea, right? Like it's not, but you got these in real time. So I think that mm-hmm. maybe for you, like it's a, the connection is a little stronger. Like did you, yes, you didn't watch Dunson Checks In, but you grew up with movies like Dunson Checks In, like playing in theaters, right? Yeah, this is the stuff we live for, the Nickelodeon generation, man. The kids being smarter than the adults and pulling the rug out from under them, both figuratively and literally. So this was, uh, I'm shocked this wasn't in the regular rotation for me when I was nine years old. Your dad said no monkeys. Nope. I think I just didn't. I wasn't interested in monkeys. <laughs> you know, that seems like so many people go through a phase of like intense interest in monkeys. And I just I was never really got there. <laughs> like not even Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I don't care. But yeah, basically the story of this to begin with is dudes rock because we have the the three men, the grant men getting ready to go on vacation and just tear shit up. And then the, like we mentioned, <laughs> The dastardly Faye Dunaway comes and puts a quick stop to that. Faye Dunaway here. Bonnie. Fall from grace or uh, a charming embrace of her older years? I think that uh, a fearless reinvention of her career. (laughs) I think. Right? You can only play Bonnie from Bonnie and Clyde once. And it's like, where do you go from there? Network, I guess. And then... And then, I mean, you got to do a quick left turn. I I actually was reading some quotes on her IMDb page, which, and I promise I'll I'll, I'll get off the wagon on this joke uh, (laughs) soon enough. But we we have learned that you can't trust everything that's on IMDb. But uh, it was her talking about her career and just how she felt that uh, her early stardom, you know, while interesting, her also kind of short changer in some opportunities and uh, how something like uh, this John Waters movie she made, uh, I think it's Mommy Dearest, maybe, had really kind of ruined because it was, she thought she was doing, she she was going one direction, but Waters made it really campy. And anyway, there's, if you go through uh, 
Faith Hathaway's IMDb page. She has a lot of things to say about her career, and not all of them are positive. And so well, she says nothing about Dunstan Checks In. But if you read between the lines, you can see that this is the kind of thing that she, I think, lived for. The the sense of showing people a different aspect of herself and, you know, hey, I can be funny and I can have a laugh about my image and and I am more than the iconic roles that I played in the past. So yeah, this is, I think that some people overdo it. I think that somebody like Eddie Murphy, right, when he went into his uh, PG family face, uh, he just put a stop, not just to the, the idea of making interesting projects, but also the idea of engaging audiences overall. Fade that away, no. I mean, I think it's not like she starred in monkey movies from here on. It's just, no, she did this one and she wanted to do the next thing. Eventually, I guess we can all agree the peak of her career was announcing the wrong winner at the Oscars. And then after <laughs> that, I think you just, there's nothing else that you can do. But I mean, this is still a couple of decades removed from that. An absolute corker of a Dunstan checks in sandwich. The movie she did before this, Don Juan DeMarco. The movie she did to follow this up, Gia. I'm trying to think of the the crossover clientele of Dunstan checks in and Gia. I don't know if it exists. <laughs> well, I can tell you the crossover clientele for Don Juan DeMarco and Dunstan checks in, and that's me because I have seen <laughs> Don Juan DeMarco. She, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a scene where she's in the bathtub with Marlon Brando. Good God times. <laughs> Good times, she wrote. The crystal ball is the social event of the season. Why shouldn't they be here? I want that six-star Robert. Are we very clear on that? I will be very upset if I don't get it. At that moment, Lord Rutledge, this is Rupert Everett, a jewel thief whom Miss Dubrow believes is the critic, arrives with his orangutan named Dunstan, intending to steal the guest's jewelry. Dunstan and his deceased brother, Samson, were both trained in thievery their entire lives, and Dunstan has been wanting to escape from Rutledge's poor treatment and life of crime ever since. This uh, Rupert Everett cat, what's, uh, what would you say he's, be- he's most known for? Oh, Alex, you don't even have to ask. This is, it's fascinating. This is 1996, right? So he was a year removed from becoming America's gay best friend. He's from uh, My Best Friend Wedding. Mm-hmm. He's that, That's the movie that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he had 15 minutes. He might have had like 10. But- I forgot he was in um, Shakespeare in Love also. So Oh, he- yeah. So he's been in The Contrarians before. Yeah. <laughs> what a lineup. This is literally back to back to back. Dunstan checks in my best friend's wedding, Shakespeare in love. How, how far from Inspector Gadget are we? Uh, well, so those were in that was 96, 97, 98. And he made one, two, uh, yeah, three movies in 99 uh, before Inspector Gadget. Because, yeah, that's I was trying to remember what I remember him from. And honestly, it would be being Dr. Claw. That's. That's a sad state of affair for one Rupert Everett. <laughs> I've never seen my best friend's wedding. That it's Alex, Cameron Diaz and Julia Roberts, right? Yep. We are yeah. fixing that this summer. I, I, I need to be measuring what I say about Rupert Everett because we're gonna have a lot to say about Rupert Everett this summer. Uh, but I can tell you this: in this movie, he did not. Unlike the hotel, he did not have a crystal ball, so he didn't know what was in his future. He is acting. Like, this is it. This is his one chance to make an impression. Uh, He's definitely going for it. He has, like, the fake teeth. Like, I'm sure you mm-hmm. know at least that much, right? That's not <laughs> that's not what his mouth looks like. And I, I doubt he talks like, you know, it's like an Englishman mixed with an old prospector. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a take on the character. He's like, oh, I'm playing the villain in a monkey movie. <laughs> That's that's the trick. That's really the challenge that all these actors are uh, up against, right? When you are in a monkey movie, especially a kid's monkey movie, it's not about the rest of the cast. It's about the monkey. You're up against the monkey, and the monkey is going to overshadow you unless you really up your game by 10 levels. So it makes sense. Rupert Everett, who probably, out of everybody the cast at this point, was the one that had the least... Uh, amount of popularity, right? Like everybody, like Jason Alexander was like, I don't know, three, four seasons into Seinfeld and, you know, Faye Dunaway and uh, Glenn Shaddix even, you know, he had a couple of big hitters in the past. So yeah, Rupert Everett had to put in the prosthetics and, and the fake accent. And the, is that, is he in the movie, is he supposed to be graying his hair like artificially or is he really gray? I I couldn't tell you. 
Because, you know, there's in, in the picture that they have where he's there with the two orangutans, his hair is black. So I couldn't tell if it was like just part of his disguise or if it's just that many years had passed. <laughs> a life of crime took a toll on his on his hair. Uh, and to be clear, Julio, this this was season seven. We were in the middle of season seven of Seinfeld. This was like the heyday. Uh, this was at that point in time, the most viewership they had for it. Uh, they were averaging, I think, 30 million viewers. And uh, yeah, it only went for nine seasons. So there's only two years left. So the Seinfeld train was chugging along. This is Jason Alexander planting the seeds for a film career after Seinfeld ends. Do you have any flashbacks to laptops from the 90s with uh, uh, Rutledge here? He has that system to spy into the different rooms and it takes like 40 seconds just to the page to like refresh and uh, display <laughs> text. Yeah. <laughs> All orange and black. Uh, it was uh, pretty advanced for the time, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the way that he hacks into the, the hotel mainframe is pretty impressive. Uh, I had flashbacks to Sliver. Because there's a scene where the older brother is just perving on some girls using the the cameras all throughout the hotel. Mm-hmm. It's like almost like blink and you miss it. But this is like what? Sliver's 93. So it wasn't that far off. I, I guess Quap is a big fan of uh, Billy Baldwin. <laughs> he uh, he was in the theater the previous summer and saw the net and he knew what was coming. He was like, <laughs> I got to get ahead of this. Putting it all together. Uh, this is, uh, I guess... The most family friendly I've seen Ken Quapis, right? Because everything that we've done had more. It was more, you know, mature themes. Even something like The Office, it's it's not a show for kids. So this has been my first experience of Ken Quapis as an all ages filmmaker, and uh, for everyone, yes, he <laughs> he pulls it off. But you can tell that. He knows that, you know, this is a movie that parents are going to take their kids to. And every now and then you got to spice it up with, uh, you know, some stuff that's just for the parents. So there's a subplot about this this rich woman that Rupert Everett is kind of stalking, keep an eye on, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember their introduction when they meet in the lobby of the hotel? And then there's a POV shot of Rupert Everett, you know, as he looks at her necklace but also the camera keeps going and you actually see part of her cleavage. Yes. Like that's yeah. not for the kids. That's a hundred percent for the parents. Uh, and we'll, we'll circle back to that point here a little bit later on in the movie. Cause you're, you're correct. The, the way we made movies was a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Ken Quapis, I salute you. Meanwhile, Rutledge distracts and causes Kyle to accidentally set a sterling rope mini pulley free from his hand when Brian falls down uh, and out of a laundry chute. Dunstan flees from Rutledge and is later found by Kyle, who befriends the poor orangutan and promises to keep him safe. However, Dunstan soon begins causing disruption in the hotel, such as ruining Spalding's workout and interfering with Mrs. Angela Delacroce's massage. That's the woman we were just referencing. After realizing Dunstan's presence, Robert calls for an animal control specialist named Buck Lafarge. This is Paul Rubens to remove Dunstan from the hotel. So we learn that this Rutledge dude's bad business. He fucking killed Dunstan's brother and it's it is a kids movie but it's kind of just shocking especially later in the movie when Rutledge tries to do the same to Dunstan it looks like he just tries to grab him and strangle him yep and um, it appears that sadly Dunstan's brother that's the fate that he met now before we get to the laughs and hijinks we do need to call out that there are homages to other movies ape based movies Um, in particular we see Dunstan watching Planet of the Apes, the OG, which we recently discussed uh, mm-hmm. in a QVR. And then when Jason Alexander's trying to get Charlie, or what's his name in this? Uh, Kyle to go to sleep, he turns on King Kong. And so, you know, we get this movie's Coming winking soon. and nodding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Glenn Shaddix again just slips on a banana peel. He <laughs> takes a bump because. Dunstan fucks with his weights. He thinks there's way more. Uh, you know, he's trying to do a lap pull down and just falls forward and does a full tumble. And then, like, he goes into this massage room with old Delacroche there. Uh, and it appears as though she's about to get a happy ending from the guy that's doing it. He says, I'm going to go get some special oil or some shit. And then my, my note just said, Is this monkey going to fuck? Because, like, he gets on top of her and 
he's like slapping her ass and she's like getting off on it. It's a, a I could see being traumatized as a kid. Wow. Your mind went so much further than mine in that sequence. Dude, she's like moaning in ecstasy when he's like slapping her ass. She, she's getting then, a butt massage. I mean, that's. When William the masseuse comes back in, she grabs him and pulls him down. And you, you know what that means. Oh, yeah. That's no, another no. 90s thing. Like <laughs> the if a hand comes up and pulls the person down, you know, coitus is about to be engaged. <laughs> yeah. Off screen sex. Yes. That that I agree with. But the no, I, I saw it as much more innocent. I, I don't think I never saw Dunstan as a sexual being. <laughs> We're He's all still... sexual beings, Julio. Okay, but you know, he hadn't awakened yet. He's like, <laughs> he's on the level with Kyle. He's on the level with like whatever the older brother is. Uh, Fair. No, she's she's just having a good time. I mean, you know, she's getting her butt slapped. Sometimes that's just what you need. Uh I, I, but I agree with you. We, we learned the- something new about Julio today, listeners. Oh, more, more, William, more. <laughs> oh, William. <laughs> you know, going back to what we were talking about before, like this sequence is, where I agree with you is that this sequence is for the parents. It's not for the kids. I don't know that as a kid it would have scared me, but really like, it's just, it's funnier as a grown up just seeing her reaction to it, right? Because you know, what she's thinking uh, as a kid, I guess I would just thought that it was funny that the monkey was manhandling her. But uh, as an adult, you can tell like the pleasure <laughs> that she's experiencing. So that's again, Quap is letting parents have, have a little bit of fun away from the kids or, you know, besides what the kids are, are enjoying. Uh, this is the second appearance of this lady. And she has one more appearance in the, in the movie where she basically propositions Rupert Everett. So this character's existence is purely so that uh, Ken Kwapis can make sex jokes in a PG movie. Could also be a reference to the the Seinfeld episode where George gets a massage by a man. I think it moved. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take this moment to talk about Jason Alexander and how this dude that he's playing is nothing like George Constanza. It's like metamorphosis. Well, he does get the momentary like George freak out, but yes, he's way more even tempered and uh, professional than George Costanza. Right. I mean, he's always, I guess, when you play the same character, you know, in the most or one of the most popular sitcoms ever uh, throughout nine years, 10 years, then yeah, there's some things where you're just no matter what you're going to see an echo of that character, right? So yes, you're right. There's a couple moments where he gets exasperated in this movie and I'm like, oh, there's George. But then it goes away, you know, because George is like that 24-7 and uh, this guy here, Robert, he's so much more subdued, which makes sense, you know, he's he's a professional. He's actually good at his job. So very different from, from George Costanza. And uh, I think it's, it's a good move for Jason Alexander. Obviously, it didn't work, but this was what he needed to do. We know, right? We knew at the time, we know now still, that, that he could play George and he could be great at playing George, but can he play something else? And kind of like taking us back to when we did the Friends Extravaganza and those actors, the, the cast from Friends and their attempts at either distance themselves from their characters they were playing on their show or doubling down on the type of characters they were playing on the show. And here, this is Jason Alexander saying, nope, I can do something else. I can just be the the straight man. You know, he gets a couple funny moments here. He even gets a, a towards the end, he gets a, a, an action scene. But, but he is just showing you that he can carry a movie in a different way. Now, sadly, Alex, I, I think that Hollywood kind of like missed out. And I can't think of another Jason Alexander vehicle. Like this, this is what I think comes the closest. Do you know of any other times where he was just allowed the the chance to just carry a movie on his own? No, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the only one of them that had like a substantial movie career. To be fair, Jerry didn't really want it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with movie careers? So the way he finds out about the monkey's presence of Dunstan's presence is he's doing like a business proposal for these two old blue hairs. And uh, he sees Dunstan in the background, like in the garden of the hotel. And he goes, holy shit. And that was something, too. We mentioned the cleavage and kind of the implied, you know, sexual gratification in the last scene. (laughs) Um, 
kids' movies were a lot different. You remember that? Like in the 80s and 90s, kids' movies always had like a shit in it. Like someone said shit or goddamn or something. There was always like a moment of um, scandal or, uh, you know, some sort of like foul language used because it was. I guess it was just more acceptable. I was like, honestly thinking about that. Like if the kids movie today, it, it never Disney movies never said shit, but like something like this that was made would always have one moment of cursing or vulgarity in it. And I really don't think that would fly anymore, but it wasn't casual. It was, it was deployed. Like it's deployed in this movie for a big laugh, like a big exactly. moment. It was always done for like, the uproarious laughter from the parents and then kind of the snickering from the little kids. Cause you know, <laughs> Oh, he's not supposed to say that. You said fuck. Exactly. That's when I was a kid watching Big. He said fuck. <laughs> uh, this is the George Costanza moment, though. They give him 30 seconds. They're like, all right, people want to see George, so just be George. He's like, there's a monkey in my hotel. A monkey, Jerry. <laughs> and he freaks out and he, I need an exterminator. I need an exterminator. And uh, he gets one. Pee Wee Herman shows up. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman shows up with like, what, 40 minutes left in the movie? So he kind of knew that he needed to catch up. Because by then we've had Rupert Everett, Jason Alexander, and Faye Dunaway chewing up the scenery, you know, for most of the movie. So he he needs to come up and make an impression. Is this the most serious uh, Pee Wee Herman you've seen? The most serious Paul Rubens? <laughs> Isn't he in Blow? <laughs> yeah, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, yes. I don't remember his character being, you know, is he a drug dealer there? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. Because <laughs> I was just thinking Buffy and obviously Pee Wee. And I don't know. He's always just Pee Wee Herman for me. And here he was. He's not making funny voices. Oh, no. Um, Batman Returns. Well, there you go. When you put your kid uh, to almost certain death, that definitely erases the image of Pee Wee Herman from the public consciousness. Uh, right here, though, he's caring he he has a gun with him and he's actually he says it out loud he's going to kill the monkey he's gonna kill dunstan did you start perceiving him as more of a threat than rupert everett no because he didn't seem like evil not that i'd ever seen this but i've seen this movie before you know this type of movie and i figured he would just be kind of like a a goof and you know he would uh be a lesser version of what they've been doing with glenn shaddix up until that point of like he would trip over himself he ends up getting drunk and unable to accomplish his goal in the end and then he realizes the error of his ways and apologizes to uh, Dunstan. So he's okay. a character that's redeemed. Yes, but early on in his first encounter with Dunstan, he draws blood. So that was yes. scary. Dunstan gets uh, some glass embedded in his hand and the uh, two Grant boys have to take care of him. And this, of course, is when the relationship, the bond between Dunstan and Kyle is really kind of solidified. Uh, the older brother kind of stitches his hand up, he gets the glass out of it, and they they help him. And then, you know, it turns into a party temporarily. Uh, I do want to go back and just call out that this is, we now in our catalog have three consecutive Paul Rubens films. 92, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 93, The Nightmare Before Christmas. 96, Dunstan Checks In. Those were his... Three back-to-back-to-back film uh, acting credits for that point in time. And those are all covered in our uh, vast back catalog. We need to add that to his uh, IMDb trivia page. (laughs) 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 I thought that you were saying three consecutive Paul Rubens movies on our feed. And I was like, what? Where was he on the Black Dahlia? (laughs) You've got an orangutan problem, Mr. Grant. Where did he come from? Well, ma'am. When two orangutans fall in love. I think she means how did he get in the hotel? Oh. So after Dunstan heals up, we have a party. They disguise him as a person. (laughs) (laughs) After one failed attempt by Lafarge, Kyle, uh, with the help of Brian, hides Dunstan in the presidential suite of the hotel under the alias Dr. Lam Bin Nagok to keep him away from both Lafarge and Rutledge. However, Rutledge manages to locate him due to Dunstan's ordering a lot of bananas. Uh, This is, again, he's using his computer. He's Sandra Bullock in the new year of 1996. He's tracking down. He's doing some research, and he's finding shit. Uh, So he goes to the room. He ties Kyle up and gags him. Dunstan uh, helps Kyle escape, and then they go to the ballroom where the crystal ball is taking place, obtaining a picture of Rutledge, Dunstan, and Samson that is sadly... um, 
Dunstan's former brother, from Rutledge's room. Kyle and Brian show the picture to their dad, and Robert is infuriated when Kyle says Rutledge tied him up. I like this part of the movie because, you know, this is all still grounded in reality of like what would happen in this situation. Because, of course, the dad's, he's like, there's a fucking monkey in my hotel. He needs to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, at least subdued so, you know, animal handlers can come pick him up. And so while he feels really bad that this asshole killed his brother and just killed this animal in cold blood, uh, this orangutan, he's still not convinced of it. But then he finds out that this guy like assaulted his son and he's like, all right, let's find this motherfucker and take care of business. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a very not even I was going to say subtle turn from Jason Alexander, but no, it's more like very determined. Like there's a definite turn, right? He you're right that he's been somewhat dismissing his kids concerns throughout the entire movie and then here he is firmly on their side for for the duration of the the third act um speaking of of turns though I, I, that scene where you said that the the, the bond between kyle and dunstan solidifies because you know he's mm-hmm. singing him a song and you know he's helping him out but he's getting stitched up like i think that this is also the moment where the older brother uh brian right uh yeah that's where he becomes sympathetic because he's been kind of annoying and uh, maybe it's just me i mean okay so you know me listeners know me I, I don't have much patience for for kid performers kid actors generally get on my nerves like precocious kids in movies you know there's a kid's movie so of course i give it leeway but still the character of the the older brother that's kind of a horn dog like a preteen horn dog that I don't find that appealing at all. And but here when he suddenly, you know, you cut to the scene of the two of them with Dunstan on the bed and and this kid, the older brother, is, is actually kind of in awe of seeing this creature. He's like, he's amazing. I think that's what he says. And then suddenly he he felt like a real person, like human. And then he helps him with the hand, you know, he fixes his hand and then Having him on board with the, with the whole Dunstan side of things made that character so much more palatable. And I was, I found that moment a lot more uh, like, fuck yeah, than later when he saves his dad. I mean, that was like, oh yeah, that's whatever. But here, him actually dropping his guard and stopping, you know, he's no longer like this naughty older brother, but actually somebody who's uh, not just happy to help his younger brother, but also not ashamed to express how awesome it is that they have this orangutan on their bed. Yeah. Like that was, I thought that was a high point. That was really cool. We forgot to mention another one of the Glenn Shaddock's punchlines is when they're partying in their room, Dunstan throws a Frisbee out of the window <laughs> and it somehow boomerangs back around and <laughs> spills tea on Glenn Shaddock's. Is this the only instance of CGI in the movie? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that whole hotel is primitive CG. What? Are you kidding me? Uh, it looked like it. If not the whole thing, then absolutely the marquee. Was... Oh, you're talking about the outside. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it wasn't <laughs> fucking Annihilation or one of those movies where nothing's real. <laughs> I was like, at least how jaded are you? <laughs> uh, but at the crystal ball, the, I, I laughed out loud. Uh, the elevator door opens and it's the masseuse with... Uh, <laughs> Delacroche from earlier because apparently they consummated the moment and now they're <laughs> out on the town together. Brian and Kyle search for Dunstan, avoiding Lafarge and Miss Dubrow, while Robert and Rutledge fight in the kitchen. It's like a Jackie Chan fight scene we got here. Mrs. Dubrow eventually corners Kyle, believing that he brought Dunstan to the hotel despite it was Rutledge, but Dunstan hanging from a chandelier pushes her into a giant party cake. Robert eventually stands up to Mrs. Dubrow, but is fired in the process. However, it turns out that Spaulding, this is Glenn Shaddix, who had been humiliated, assaulted, and inconvenienced by Dunstan's antics, was the real critic all along. As a result, Spaulding declares Mrs. Dubrow managed to go from a five-star hotel to a one-star hotel before passing out from Lafarge's tranquilizer dart. This is... Uh, we mentioned earlier, Paul Rubens gets a bit drunk on the free champagne. He acts just like I do at these things. They're like champagne. He's like, is it free? And so he like double fists. He yep. takes two of them. Uh, so he's drunk and he can't make the shot correctly. Kyle, Eric Lloyd knocks his legs out and, you know, old school would ape this five, six, seven years after this 
when uh, you know you got the tranquilizer. It's that's a joke that works no matter. It's the getting kicked in the nuts. That's funny in whatever decade it comes out. It's funny here because he misses a shot and shoots Glenn Shaddix in the ass, and it's <laughs> hilarious and old school. And Will Ferrell shoots himself in the jugular with it. It it works. Uh, but yeah, he gets out his big reveal. Glenn Shaddix that is about. It was it was me, Austin, and then falls on Faye Dunaway and passes out on top of her as they're on this giant cake. Not unlike the end of um, Black Sheep, where Chris Farley gets trapped on top of that woman. So getting kicked in the nuts, obviously, an all-time classic. Jason Alexander gets punched in the nuts, I think, in the fight at one point. There's like several stages. It's Yeah, he gets hit in the balls uh, to the point where when he wins the fight, because his older son helped him, he goes, that's my boy, or something like that, <laughs> yeah. and then limps off. <laughs> okay, well, now, how about having a dog sniffing your nuts. That's also something that happens at the crystal ball. He brought a dog. I miss that. Oh, you did? Because, you know, uh, Paul Rubens shows up with the dog, right? And Jason Alexander is, get the dog out of here. The dog is there to to sniff out uh, Dunstan. And when they first meet, when Jason Alexander goes to talk to Paul Rubens, the dog just sticks his nose uh, in Jason Alexander's crotch. And I was like, hey, that's a variation on a classic. It's a close-up. It gets a close-up. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of animals in this movie. That is for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this this big epic fight between Rupert Everett and Jason Alexander. I mean, I never would have thought that it would come to this. <laughs> I thought that it was going to be Dunstan versus Rupert Everett. And I guess we kind of get that earlier in the movie, right? Like when he escapes, he... Dude, this is just how I don't know. You know, I've seen so many movies. Like, I, I really expected him to tear Rupert Everett's ear off when he bit him. <laughs> but yeah, that was their confrontation, and then yeah, then it ends up being uh, Jason Alexander throwing down with Rupert Everett, and going back to the idea of '90s movies, '90s family movies. That is something that you need, right? The the, the big set piece that is innocent but also very well orchestrated like you know the chaos and it's not just the fight but it, everything else that's happening in the ball like every character comes together because yeah you have Glenn Shaddix you have uh, Paul Rubens you have the the lady with the masseuse at De La Croce right because there's a point where mm-hmm. she goes under the table to flirt with Rupert Everett Rupert Everett is under the table looking for Dunstan and she comes in and she's like hey you want to fuck later <laughs> and then disappears <laughs> <laughs> it's everything, you know, every single aspect of it, of the movie that comes together here. Uh, and, and really, the big thing about Glenn Shaddix being the secret shopper is that the movie, like, I don't think they needed to do this, but the fact that he did it makes it more fun. Through the entire movie, Faye Dunaway is convinced that Rupert Everett is a secret shopper. And mm. that is just, you know, because it's not like that was part of Rupert Everett's plan. That just happens <laughs> to to be something that she gets stuck in her head that that's what's happening. So whatever interaction Rupert Everett has with the staff and with Jason Alexander, it's always seen through those lenses, uh, which makes it even funnier, right? That, that, that he's not. In fact, he's robbing the, the clientele. So yeah, good stuff. Like, I don't think everybody can pull this off. Like Obviously, you need somebody that has talent to direct comedy. And Quap is here just showing he's got the goods. Rutledge is arrested, and Lafarge apologizes to Dunson, who slaps him. In the end, thanks to Mrs. Dubrow's more kind-hearted husband, Victor, Robert, Kyle, and Brian move to Bali to manage a majestic hotel there where they can keep Dunson as a pet. They invite Spalding over with complimentary room and meals to make up for all the troubles he experienced and assured him that nothing will go wrong this time. However, in the last scene... Dunstan causes further trouble by dropping a large coconut, which lands on Spalding's head. So comedic actor Glenn Shaddix getting one last uh, <laughs> turn at bat before it's over. And he gets the classic POV shot, you, you know, the coconut POV looks up and no, but we learned that uh, Dunstan has a family now. So it is quite literally a happy ending for all, except for, well, no, Glenn Shaddix gets an all expenses paid trip to Bali. So happy ending for all here. Did you think that there was a chance that they were not going to keep Dunson? Right? Because there's a moment towards the end that it looks like they're just going to release him to the zoo. And Kyle and Dunson have this sort of goodbye. And 
It's, it gets emotional for a moment. Did you? Yeah, get, it talks about taking him to the zoo or having someone take him to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Did you think that that was going to be it, or were you convinced that no, there's no way they're there's, they're always going to find a way to to keep the monkey? I mean, yeah, the last scene was a pretty wild left turn that I wasn't expecting, but it's definitely <laughs> on par with the movie, so I had no issue with it. Yeah, I mean that's because that's what you want, right? It's not about what's what's probable or possible. It's just like, okay, how do we get to a place where they can keep Dunstan but still remain, you know, because you gotta get Jason Alexander out of that hotel. That's his arc, right? He's a workaholic. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to learn to just enjoy time with his family. Uh so for him to take his job back would be kind of a it, it would feel like a regression. So I was glad that they found this avenue. It was like, sure, let's just he can work and have a vacation at the same time. Why not? Now, Faye Dunaway's older husband, he has my favorite line in the movie, and that is much earlier uh, when we first see him and they're having that meeting, Faye Dunaway and Jason Alexander. He's in the background. And then at the end, as he's leaving, he goes, by the way, there's a small child under your desk. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like, though, he has a... A new honey here at the end. Oh, yeah. I think that yeah. that guy, he probably... Moved on fast. Yeah. Made Faye Dunaway sign a prenup. <laughs> sure. Well, that was Dunstan Checks In. You know, the Majestic, you always check in, but you never check out. Yep. <laughs> That's what the Jim Carrey movie is about. There's a Jim Carrey movie uh, called the Oh, the, yeah, it took me a second. It's about the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes, that was the majestic. That was the majestic. <laughs> that was Dunstan checks in, Alex. It was a uh, an unusual trip back to the '90s for us. Usually, when we go back to the '90s, it's for raunchier <laughs> material. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Are you ready to go real talk? Let's do it. 